now we start down this REV growth path where we're learning how to have conversations with people. And so the REV growth path is the building of your relationship. And some days you're having good days and some days you're having bad days, but you can help each other through it. And as you go, the level of rapport and trust grows. You learn more about experiences that you share and values that you share. And that continues until the moment you actually trust someone. Now is the time. You're invited to join us, a movement of leaders who are willing to step into a new approach to leadership across the global landscape. This is as simple as humanity being just you and I, and stakeholders being the value you place on each decision to add or take away from humanity going forward. Hold a minute. Stay with us. We know people like you want to play at a different scale. And these conversations help create the opportunity for you to take this up a notch or two or a whole lot more. With a curiosity, let's dig deeper behind the scenes to see the why, the what, the where, the who, and the when. From other smart humans who make smart decisions and innovate smart, sustainable solutions to narrow the gap from problem to solution. Learn in today's conversation how you can begin to do this. Come join us. You know, I'm just going to hand straight over to an amazing, amazing human being who has a lot to say. So I want to give him all the space to be able to say it. Um, Dr. George Broomback, you are an amazing human being. Uh, We talk about having smarts at the table. I say this a lot, but I do believe you're one of my smartest people that I know. And I am so looking forward to how you add to this conversation and what we're going to, you know, gain from it as in new insights, but also, you know, how do we continue the conversation that we've started today? So go for it, my friend. Absolutely. Thank you. And it's so lovely to be here. Kiri Marie, I love you. Sherry, I saw you and I brightens up my whole day. (laughs) <laughs> I just adore you so much. And I put on my extra fancy battle mode t-shirt because why not? I was standing outside of my house and these two boys came out of their house behind me um, about three months ago. And the one boy was teasing his brother and his brother turned around and said, you better bring it in extra fancy battle mode. And I was just, I, that's such a fun term. So we had t-shirts made extra fancy battle mode. Now we always show up in order to perform whenever we go. You know, this is my second favorite topic of all time. My second favorite topic is um, women's leadership, empowering women. And the reason it's my second favorite topic is my first favorite topic is teaching kids. My daughter, I have a 14 year old girl, and I look at my only job in life is to create a competent, strong woman who can survive without me. And that's all we focus on. Now I come from a family of very, very, very strong women. My mother left uh, her home uh, as a farm in, the, in Michigan. She left when she was 17 with a one-way ticket to Manhattan, uh, never went back, built a wonderful life, got married, had us uh, children. And then my sister was a very uh, high-level member of Morgan Stanley, and there were many times she was the only woman, not only in the room, she was the only woman on the floor. And it was very interesting to watch her go through that evolution of one of the conversations that keeps coming up and a conversation that really throws me the wrong way is this concept of getting permission. I know we talk about it, getting permission. 
the fact that you ever need permission is where the problem starts because, you know, I've built my assistant, who's a very strong woman, my wife, um, Dr. Bernbach, Dr. Jeanette, is a very, very strong, smart woman. And I don't know many women who want to fit into a man's world. They just want to be themselves and be who they are. And the concept that I'm trying to hire Tanya, who's in the other room working with me right now, I'm not trying to squeeze her into some construct and say, well, you're the best woman. That's like saying you're the best orange or you're the best apple. It doesn't make any sense. It's just, it, it's minimizing. And I don't want my daughter to come into a room and go, wow, as a girl, I hope I'm accepted. I want her to come in and own her skill set. You see, that's the way my sister took off after Villanova University. She um, started with Chase Manhattan Bank before they were Chase Manhattan. And then she went to Morgan Stanley and now she runs her own consulting company. It's fantastic. And Tanya, I, I see your, your question. You're right. You're giving yourself permission. I love that concept because one of the things that's lost whenever I speak to women coming into male dominated worlds is that people view vulnerability as submission and it's not submission may be rolling over and giving into someone's power but vulnerability is just putting your own ideas out there for judgment you see i'm a six foot one right-handed white guy all the politics in this country was built by old versions of me for young versions of me that's how it's all screwed up you see it's, it's trying to fit people into a dynamic. So now we get into this concept of leadership and we get into this concept of leadership and we have to start with a known standard. The reason people don't move forward is they have emotional arguments. And when you have an emotional argument, your footing is fluid. So the argument changes. You can't disprove an emotional argument. You can easily disprove a fact-based argument, right? So when we start with a definition of leadership, we can really create the scaffolding for which change can occur. So let's, let's choose a definition of lead, leadership. I've heard everything from leaders create followers, which is idiotic, to that's oppression, by the way. Leaders create leaders. Well, that's idiotic because it's not true. Leaders create a platform so smart people can thrive and be everything that they are as individuals. Leadership allows people to grow and to thrive. I hire the smartest people I can hire. If I'm not intimidated by the people I'm bringing into my world, I'm hiring poorly. And I've built many multi-million dollar clinics and it has nothing to do with me. Maybe I just choose good people and then I get out of the way. So when I look at permission, I think we should set aside the concept of needing permission and just look for people who won't get in our way and allow us to be ourselves. Hire problem solvers, hire thinkers, and then just do the right thing. There's always the right thing to do. And if you just focus on, if you know that it's right, you do it. And if you know that it's wrong, you don't do it. And if you're not sure, you talk about it. Universal the universal solvent is communication. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to show you a few slides. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you through something that you cannot research because I invented it and I wrote it 15 years ago. And, but it'll make sense to you, I promise. 
You see, when we're talking about leadership, we're really talking about leveraging trust. And whether you're speed dating or you're building a relationship, tr uh, transparency is what allows for trust to occur. If you promise me you're going to be home at 7 o'clock and you show up at 9.30, even though it's not life-altering, there's a breakdown in the transparency of what I can trust there. You see what I mean? So when I'm teaching children, I, I sat down and I taught my daughter's friends this concept that you never trust nice because nice usually comes with an agenda. But you can look for kind because when you're kind to someone, you're giving of yourself. But when you're nice to someone, sometimes that's a rapport building tool so you can fulfill your own agenda. Does that make sense? So it's an interesting concept because how many times did your mom or your dad tell you, listen, be, be nice, be nice to people. But if you really look through history, and I believe we can learn so much by looking through history, nice is often a leverage point. But if you can sit back and walk along with someone long enough, you can look for kind, you look for actions. And in that concept is where we start teaching people how to break through plateaus. So when I come into a group like this, when I was teaching um, Mr. Zeeb's real estate group, when I'm teaching the cheerleaders that my daughter hangs around with, when I'm teaching at the school about career appreciation and personal growth, we're talking about a triad that is a very, that's a linear model of strategy systems and skills. Now, a strategy would be, I'm going to choose my direction. The systems we would call the R5 systems, which means you have to make sure a system can operate five times before you can really trust it. And then the skills are how good are you at that? So when we're planning anything, if we're planning to build a wonderful empowered team, men, women, whomever, our strategy is to hire smart puzzle solvers who are not afraid to have a voice, which means we lay out a platform and we frame it out that what we're looking for is that everyone gets a voice, but not everyone gets a vote, right? Because sometimes businesses have a hierarchical, hierarchical structure, but everyone needs to have a voice. So in order for us to break through, we have to have a strategy of hiring people who have an opinion, who have a skill set. You see, let's say I want to play basketball. The first rule of basketball is put the ball in the net, right? The second rule of basketball is don't let them put the ball in the net. If all I ever do is follow that strategy, I win every game. I can go out and buy the systems of the last championship team, but now it comes down to skill set. LeBron James will always have a better skill set at basketball than I do. You see, but I can work on my skill set. I can work on active listening. I can work at speaking my voice. I can work at understanding people around me. So when I bring in information, when I bring information to them, it's more likely to be accepted than not accepted. Does that make sense? Because when we start in business, we usually think that it's supposed to happen like this. We know we're going to have ups and downs. In, in, at Harvard University in 1944, they started a study called the Harvard Study of Adult Behavior. It's the longest running study in American history. 
it's a longitudinal study, which means they took, I believe it was 60 some odd 19 um, year old white guys at Harvard, mainly because in 1944 there were only white guys at Harvard. And they took a bunch of poor kids from the south side of Boston. And if you've ever seen Goodwill Hunting, you understand what the south side of Boston kind of feels like and looks like. So they take these kids and they track them their entire life. And what they found was whether you ended up homeless or you ended up the CEO of General Electric, you had good days and bad days. You and I have good days and bad days. I'm sitting here in a beautiful studio in a nice house outside of Seattle. And I will still have a good day where everything seems to go right. And I will have a bad day where, you know, nothing seems to go right. What keeps you at the top of that model is relationships and systems. What gets you off the bottom of that model is one personal choice to ignore a system that's running. And they've studied this. It's still going on today. The funny part about that study is not only was it a limited population base, but the funniest part was it wasn't until about 18 years ago where they finally included their spouses. Think about that for a minute. You're trying to find out how people's lives went. My life would not be anything like my life is if I didn't marry a strong woman, have a strong sister, have a strong mother, have a strong assistant and have an awesome kid. You have to track every variable because your input sources change according to how you grew up. So this is how we expect our life to go. We'll have good days and bad days, but we'll go in the right direction. But some days, doesn't it feel like this, where you're begging for attention? Or some days it looks like this, where things are going well, but you're not sure why. And the business can just fall right off the cliff. Every now and again, like what's going on in the world right now, the problems don't get solved and you end up pushing up the same rock, up the same hill, and it's exhausting. So what I'd like to do today is show you a model that I created. And um, Carrie Marie, our good friend, Simon, um, over from Perth, he, he looked at this model and it was so exciting because he couldn't wait till the morning. He sent me a text message in the middle of the night telling me I now need to write a book on this model, but I haven't got to that yet. But I do love the model and I'm going to show it to you. So I want to show you how to turn anything around, whether it's a relationship with a child like my daughter and I, whether it's a relationship with my wife. My wife and I have been married for 23 years, sometimes because we never wanted a divorce at the same time and sometimes because we're just getting along perfectly, you see? But we have to take it all one bite at a time, and that becomes the shift, and that's why I fell in love with Akiri's 1% project, because 1% a day is 365% a year. If we increase your profit 1% a day, your business is legendary inside of three years, you see? Imagine getting a 1,000% return that amplifies daily. If your friendships went up 1% a day, imagine the quality of your life, not the car you drive, but the people that you have the capacity to be vulnerable with, to put your opinions out there, to have a real legitimate conversation. 1% a day changes so dramatically. But in order to do this, we have to get the mechanics down. We have to learn the strategies, the systems, and the skills. Communication is the universal solvent. 
but most people spend more time talking than listening and they don't actually understand how to build a rapport based relationship. I got a phone call from a client of mine who's down in LA and she asked me to come down and teach a class on communication for dating over 50 years old. And she's a beautiful woman. She's uh, Canadian, but she lives in LA. She's a doctor. She has a great business and she's going out on dates and she just feels targeted by the people she's going out with where they will endure a conversation long enough to figure out whether they're going to move that relationship forward or not, instead of just being curious about people. There's a way to build these relationships so they never fail. And I'd like to show you that because once we get the model done and you're up on that surfboard, there is no difference between riding a wave this size and scaling up a business, scaling up a marriage, scaling up a friendship to whatever level you want it to be. You see, I do a lot of business coaching and I work with CEOs, I work with doctors, dentists, chiropractors, naturopaths. I work with small businesses to big businesses. And business is gonna grow in phases. We start off at nothing and we grow up usually to a certain level where we can no longer do everything ourselves. And once we get to that level, we have to learn to delegate. Sort of like you're taking care of your own life and then you get to a certain point where you need to include other people. We need to delegate part of our life to someone else who's going to impact our happiness or to our business who can help us grow. And when we do that, our business can easily double. And we go from a startup up to that seven-figure mark. And now we have to learn to trust because we won't be able to even keep the reins on this ourselves very long. So now we get into a trust-based transformation and we allow the system to grow as a system and we can take it up to phase three, which is the multi-million dollar. This, is, this chart relates to a small doctor's office, but we could apply the same principles to Apple, right? The same principles to a, a stay-at-home business like doTERRA or something along those lines. The reason most businesses in America fail is because they're following what they consider the appropriate path. Let me show you what this is. The first rule of business is what, right? Make money. It's actually not. The first rule of business is don't lose money. Because if you lose money, you now have to go make money just to get back to zero. I was coaching a real estate team and one of these gentlemen said, my family doesn't support me. And I said, okay, uh, what do you mean? Well, I'm showing them what I'm doing and I'm asking for investment, but they won't support me. And I'm telling them I'm going to make a lot of money. And I said, okay, but why should they support you? Are you working harder than they are? Are you doing things where they're excited to contribute because they can see that without them, you're still going to make it? And he said, no, because I need their money in order to do that. And I said, that's a gamble. You see, most business owners get into business looking for the end result. I want to make a million dollars. I want to make profit. And because I want to make profit, I'm going to sell these products. And selling these products will be done this way. 
through these processes. And using these processes is going to show me how to interact with the world. And then my psychology will finally be where I want to be. And what I mean by psychology is happiness. If I make the money and I sell these things and I do it this way, I'll have a good outlook on the world and I'll finally be happy. In the constitution itself for America, the pursuit of happiness, the pursuit of happiness has never caused anything but misery and social media causes nothing but antisocial behavior when you remove your name. There was a great article in Time Magazine that I go over, go over with my daughter now, but had gone over, it was about four years ago at Christmas, and they talked about the anonymity of the internet. When we're talking about running around in masks, when we're talking about putting up hoods, when you have anonymity online, the studies indicate that people are over 65% to exhibit sociopathic tendencies. Tell people who are suffering that they deserve it. Tell people who are suicidal to just get it over with. But when you remove anonymity, which is one reason I put my name on my shirt, when you remove anonymity, people are so less inclined to be mean because they're, they become part of your group. And that's the key. They become part of your group. I grew up in New York in a very multiracial area in New York. And I got along with people and we still had a group and we still had outsiders to that group. We have to build a bigger group. But this model, the pursuit of happiness, will never work for us because it doesn't work historically. And if it has never worked in the past, it's not going to work now. It just doesn't work like this. Let me show you what happens when we flip it around. If we just start with this sentence, remember Mad Libs as a kid? I want you to fill in this sentence for yourself. I'm just the person who, or I'm the person that just, and fill in the blank. Look, I'm the person that just teaches. I'm the person that just listens with curiosity because everyone I meet has a cooler life than I do. I want to know I've traveled the world three, four times or over. I have great education because my parents sacrificed for that. But I'm the guy who just wants to know your story. That is my psychology. If I grew up in the inner city and I was afraid to walk out of my house, that could become my psychology. If I grew up in Nantucket, where everyone looked and sounded like me, only with a weirder accent, that would become my psychology. You see, that is, to go back to what we were talking about today in the global scheme of thing, that psychology, well, that is systemic racism. That's where it starts. How you grew up that framed who you are. That can be changed, but it takes work takes communication, takes effort. I need you to answer this for you. I'm just the person that wants to make money. Maybe that's you. Hey, I'm just the person who doesn't think about money. I just want to impact people's lives and create transformation. One of the reasons that Kiri Marie and I have such great conversations is we both agree that transformation is what will actually change things. A true 
pure transformation where you change the answer to this question from I'm just the person who wants to get the bills paid to I'm just the person who wants to listen or I'm just the person who wants to transform because that becomes the psychology base of your business. That becomes the psychology base of your relationships. If you start with that sentence, you start building when you're happy and you never have to chase happiness. You never have to pursue joy because you're joyful from the beginning. See, now we start happy and I'm just the person who wants to be curious about people. And my philosophy is the framework on which I view the world. But my philosophy is that I'm not going to get caught up in the drama. I want to hear your story because I know that together, two smart people working on a change, we can make it work. And here are the processes. I'm going to teach on webinars. I'm going to write material. I'll write books. You see? I'm going to put the messages out to children so that they can make one decision different tomorrow. There was a little boy who walked up to my daughter. And I don't believe that you raise kids. I believe you train children to interact with the world. I do believe in training that way. And a little boy walked up to my daughter and he, he said, listen, I hate you and you're ugly and you're this. And my daughter just said, okay, stop. We can't be friends if you treat me that way. And the boy didn't know what to do because he was trained to dominate. My daughter was trained to listen and then frame out the solution she wanted because her philosophy was everyone's got a story. It does. I get to choose who I let in my life, but everyone's got a story. So the process is let's see if we can get to a place where we can grow from. And in business, my psychology is I've got to work hard, but I can have whatever it is I need if I can sort out the puzzles. So I'm going to surround myself with awesome people. So my philosophy started being I'm going to have the world line up for me by getting people excited about the work I'm doing. And then the process is my hiring process, my communication process my teaching process, and then the products are going to come out of that and the profits will just be there. I've never done anything for money in my life. Money is just exchanged. You have to remember this concept in business is that you can't make money. This concept of making money is idiotic because it's illegal to make money. You have to have something where people want to give you money. You have a cup of coffee, Someone thinks that's worth $4. I want to give you $4 for that cup of coffee, that exchange. There are only four currencies we deal with, whether it's in love or in business, time, money, energy, and effort. Time is time. Money is money. Energy is where you put your attention, and effort is the labor that's involved. So we started looking at this, and we created something called a DPA model that allows for trust-based transformation. And it looks like this. Whenever we're starting anything, we start in a specific location, our present reality. If you haven't learned this yet, you're perpetually anchored in the present. You can't be anywhere else. Now is now. And now, now is now. And then is now then. But now is now. You see, we can only ever be in the present. So our, the only thing that creates movement is frustration. Think about this for a moment. 
I want you to imagine that there's a thumbtack on your chair under your left leg, just under your thigh, a thumbtack. Everyone knows what a thumbtack is. What do you do? You move your leg because the frustration of real-time pain creates the, the desire to move, the incentive to move. But what if I said, hey, there are two thumbtacks on that chair, go have a seat. You would say, no, what's wrong with you? I'm not going to do that. Because fear stops action. It's very important to understand that, especially in the economy and the world we live in right now. Frustration creates movement and fear stops it. Haven't you ever seen a child running all over your house? They go up to their room. It's dark in the room. They stop. I'm not going in there. Why? Fear of the unknown. Fear of walking down a dark alley. Fear of getting on stage and teaching. All fear of the unknown. Everything in the future is either fear or hope. But you have to understand that frustration creates the movement. And this is what I'm going to ask you to do right now. Imagine something you're frustrated with right now and decide to change it. Imagine something that's frustrating to you right now and decide to change it. And then you're going to start that motion if it meant something to you. And you have a perception of where you're going to end up. And you're going to use your personal effort, your personal skills, your knowledge, and your own abilities to make that change. We all have communication limitations, vocabulary, comfort level, whether someone else has a vocabulary issue and we can't match up. But we're going to use all of our own effort and then we're going to move forward. And what caused us to act now becomes a past frustration. That's our memory. And where are we now? We're always here in the present. Always. So now we move up to this new place. That creates this linear scale of past, present, and future. We know that we want to go somewhere good. We know it'll take a certain amount of time. And we have an idea of what we can accomplish. So we start moving forward and we hit a limitation of scale. This can happen in a business. It can happen in a relationship. That's why some people go to counseling to learn better communication skills. That's why people sit down or they go away for the weekend to get on the same page because a shared vision builds unity. But when you get that shared vision fractured, you have to know how to get back on that road, right? So we're going to try to make everything go right ourselves and we may hit a limitation of scale. That's when we've exhausted what we know how to do. We exhausted our effort, our skills, our knowledge, and our abilities. So here's our new present challenge. How do I get someone else to help me? And now communication, the universal solvent, comes into play. And I have to be able to explain to Sherry, to Jane, right, to Candace, to Tiana, I, to Tanya, I have to be able to explain what I'm up against in a way that they can duplicate it. Because we all have filters, whether that's language, race, economics, whatever it is, we all have filters. You see, religion plays big filters in there. But if we can get to that duplication point, our life and our philosophy and our perceptive, our perceptions can change. So now we have expectations of a shared effort, not just what my effort could be. Shared skills, shared knowledge, shared abilities. And we should be able to move forward again. But now the whole scale shifts and we hit what's called an REV build. A slight disruption to the conversation. 
I have a question for you. Are you even a little curious to see how you can use your platform to change the conversation? Two, maybe design solution pathways where you have certainty and afford movement? Or truly, do you want to increase your economic and cultural impact? Awesome human, if you want to lead, to pioneer a new approach, to role model what is possible and to leave sustainable footprints for the generations to come, then I would love for you to reach out to me and the team to see if we're the right fit to make this a reality for you. And if we're not, no hard feelings, as I know many awesome humans who may be the right one. Okay. I've included three ways in the show notes where you can begin a pathway with us on a journey to your next level. One, a strategy analysis. Two, the next growth incubator cycle. Three, a potential investment partnership. As founder and CEO of Decision Velocity Global, I'm all about building a sustainable, scalable growth ecosystem where humanity like you are stakeholders to design cutting edge solution pathways and to narrow the gap from problem to solution. I want you to come on this journey with me and others and not to be left behind. There is a seat at the table for you. Okay. Let's get back to the conversation. Now, what is REV? This is a communication process I wrote years ago that lines with neurochemistry. There is a way your brain wants to think. It wants to find a problem, look for a solution, validate it as safe, and then choose to act or not to act. But when you're in interpersonal relationships, we go through what's called an REV build. This is rapport, experiences, and values. Rapport is comfort and proximity. Like you can be on the other side of the earth. I can be here in Seattle. We can have a conversation. We're digitally approximated. The E is experience. These are things you actually lived through. The scars of your life. As I said earlier, I'm a six foot one right-handed white guy who went to Catholic prep schools my whole life. I can easily get into a conversation about growing up in New York, growing up in suburbia, growing up in Charleston, South Carolina, because I lived there too. Growing up in Japan, I lived there too. I can talk about Catholic school because I lived through it. I can talk about my older brother and older sister because I lived through it. I can talk about I'm a father because I have a daughter. Experiences are very big, and it could be as little as we both shop at Nordstrom for shoes, you see? Or it could be as big as my daughter was in it or my sister was in an abusive relationship that she had to work her way out of. And I had to play a role as a younger brother to help her do that. See, when you find someone with shared experiences, you can easily grow a relationship for a certain amount of time. And then we have values. Now, values are really interesting because they're part of your life, but you didn't have to live through them. Think of heaven and hell. You can believe in heaven. You can believe in hell, but you didn't have to go there in order to do it. I can believe that my daughter should be taken care of, even though she never had to get hurt in the process. You see, she's walking in the door right now. That'll be fun. So now we start down this REV growth path where we're learning how to have conversations with people. 
And so the REV growth path is the building of your relationship. And some days you're having good days and some days you're having bad days, but you can help each other through it. And as you go, the level of rapport and trust grows. You learn more about experiences that you share and values that you share. And that continues until the moment you actually trust someone. Think of a relationship like this. I meet you at a bar. Boy walks up to girl, says hi. This is my daughter, Sophia. Wave. Hi. <laughs> That's the Global Leadership Alliance for All Strong and Empowered Women. That's you. Yes. Isn't that cool? Yes. All right, take oh, off. Okay. Bye. Obey your father. So that continues as we're learning about people until you get to a trust impact. And this is where you say, you know what? I want to spend the rest of my life with this person. Or the customer comes in and they're listening to you try to sell them something. And then you get to a point where they trust your intentions and they buy, whether you're a house, a house seller or you're a stockbroker. This growth has to happen. And when you get that trust impact, the scale changes. And now we see three levels of performance. Solo performance, that's you alone, best you could ever do. Teamwork, you leading your team. But third is elevated performance, where you created a leadership platform so Kiri Marie can be everything Kiri Marie has a talent for, and Sherry Rose can be everything Sherry Rose has a talent for. And now you just put smart people on that platform where they have stability, and you don't have to give them permission, you just have to let them be them, and they will thrive, and your entire movement will buoy up and grow because now there's a new achievable outcome that we never saw coming. And we see phases in this model. First, we have to get to that first point of duplication. Then we have to run a parallel where we get to know each other. And that takes a little bit of time. And then we adjust based on trust and we get a trust-based transformation. But this is the biggest key. If you look back at your past, where you find the most pride not pridefulness, we're not getting into the seven deadly sins, but pride. Remember that self-esteem is nothing more than the reputation you have with yourself. Do you trust you? That's what self-esteem is. The first time you tied your shoes, you were like, holy heck, I can tie my shoes. Now you could do it upside down and blindfolded because you trust yourself to do it. The first time you walk out on stage in a room where you don't know people, it might make you nervous. You do it enough times, you're desensitized and you trust your process. Those points of disruption, the part where you thought you were stuck, but you worked through it, where you trusted someone and it worked for you, those become your points of pride. And that's what really elevates your ability to lead. Because someone can say, I don't like you. That's fine. It's not about likability all the time. It's about the outcome and the system and the process. And you fall in love with the process. Success is assured. This is the process to make a trust-based transformation. We duplicate, we parallel, and we adjust. And that's the DPA model. You see, as leaders, you only have three things you ever need to worry about. And the first is input. You know what input is? It's who do you spend time with? It's what are you reading? It's who are you having conversations with? It's what movies are you watching? That's your input. Most people don't have 
a depression problem, they have a friendship problem. Most people don't have a money problem, they've got a spending problem. They're trying to buy their way into a happier life, the pursuit of happiness. And that's where what always fails. There's no fairness in the world. Fairness is just a negotiation position. We agree on what should be there. And if we get what we agreed upon, that's fair. You see? But this is the other piece, your output. What do you do with that information? I've seen doctors study so much they created anxiety to act because they never thought they would ever know enough. So this is my challenge to all of you, to myself, to my daughter, to everyone who works with me. Your output has to be bigger than your input. If you learn one thing today, share it with three people. Not 33, but three. If you read a book, teach it to two people. Because if you have good input and you're outflowing kindness and output, Anytime you get stuck, you close your eyes and you just let your imagination find a solution. The slogan of our company is learn three things because with three things, you can change someone's entire life. And then at the end of every teaching, we just ask people to do this. Just get a little bit better. The 1% model is real. Just get better. This is my wife, Jeanette. This is me. We help people do all kinds of things. Everything from building practices to building relationships. But we never proclaim we have a magic system. We just allow that REV build growth to go. And that brings us back to this beautiful world of growing together, using everyone's brilliance in the process. There you go, Kiri Marie. Love it. Love you. Love what you teach on stuff like this. And I think, um, you know, what you do well is you help us to be better leaders and to stretch our thinking, our thinking of our capacity. And I think we can always step up in our leadership, but it's to do with our capacity. And of course, you've got team, you've got systems, you've got all that. But you know, the whole reason around this event is that I, I really want to bring attention to how powerful it is when we have a muscle called human intelligence. And I think that, you know, within every single one of us, we can absolutely increase the capacity of that. And so that is one of the reasons I really wanted you in on the conversation because I think the thing that you do so well is help what can often be very complex to simplifying it going, Hey, just reach out to three people, you know, Um, the, and, and that is often what we know that we need to move forward. We know that we need to, um, you know, refuel as a leader to be able to lead in better ways but it's not always an easy thing because you're always giving out. So, um, you know, over this time, you know, if we just look at what's happening across the world and and we've just gone through the whole COVID thing and, you know, who knows, it might be a second wave, whatever it is. I don't know about you, but in our community, we have ended up just giving out, giving out, giving out. Life is, and even by the fact that six and a half weeks ago, I wasn't putting this forum on. 
I was sick in bed with the virus and so sick for five and a half weeks. But I knew with certainty that now more than ever, it was time to continue to lead rather than shrink back and to open up for conversations because there is so much change across the world. How can we do that better? What can that look like? And I needed to create a platform where we could do that in a good way. Um, So if you put that as your lens and your thinking, um, how how do you think we can lead better over this time and, and what do we need to do or think about? You know, I was um, back before all of my live events around the country got canceled. (laughs) I was on my way to I was on my way to Chicago to teach a big group of of folks. And I was I happened to be seated next to this um, young African-American professor who was a high school teacher who was on his way to Notre Dame University in order to work on his Ph.D. Right. He had a master's degree working on his Ph.D. And we had a fantastic conversation, but he opened the conversation this way. You're not going to like this conversation, but are you open and willing to have a conversation about race? And I said, I'm open to anything. You're sitting next to the right guy. And so this is the outcome of that conversation. He kept asking me what I'm going to do. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I would ask him, what are you going to do? And he said, no, you don't understand. You can knock on people's doors and I can't. And I said, that, that may be true, but let's talk about it this way. In the history of America, as screwed up as we do a lot of things, he, even he, an educated man, was still talking to me about presidential politics. But think about this. In the history of America, there's only been three black governors, three African-American governors, and there are only two of them The only reason they got the job is the guy above them died. You know how you change things? You change something local that you can witness the change in real time. You change one person's decision locally. If I want to change the bullies at my daughter's school, I change the way my daughter receives that information and processes that information. If I want to change the politics of America, you change the mayors and the governors. Everyone's looking for the big stage. You can't change the big stage, and more, more often than not, the big stage doesn't change you. But the person next door can punch you in the nose. Mm. The person next door can shoot you through the window. Mm. The person next door can give you a hug. We have to focus on making a change in our environment that takes one step outside of our environment to let someone else change. So if my daughter can show that boy that being a bully is not going to affect her, Mm. she's just going to say, you can't play in my world. It's going to change his behavior patterns. If I want to change what's going on in the world right now, local politics changes things a lot faster than national politics. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to see 50 black governors, 50 African-American governors. I'd love to see more mayors. I'd like to see walking into a local politician's meeting and have more people not look like me. Yeah. Yeah. That's what changes the world. So if you ask me the question, you ask the last speaker, what am I going to do in order to enact a change like this? Yeah. I'm going to do what I'm doing right now, which is be open to a conversation with my neighbor about things that they have fixed beliefs in and even things I have fixed beliefs huh. in. I'm going to be open to a conversation and with my daughter about things that I'm uncomfortable sometimes with, 
right? Teaching a 14-year-old girl about sexuality when you're a 51-year-old guy, yeah. it's, it's a conversation that has to happen. I wish I was a fly wall when you did that. Yeah. <laughs> I love you that. Know? Hey, and, so you talk, I just want to go around that because I just don't want to miss that, that, that whole uncertainty. Um, getting, you know, so we've got to the decision table and we've got lots of different, we talk about, rather than diversity, we actually talk about distinctions. So yeah. Amazing humans at the table with many different distinctions to add value at the table. We've got to that point. But here's the thing, George. We've come to that point because we know we want to change, but we haven't reached a point that we probably will agree with anything or everything at the table. And how do you, what would you think or how would you go about it if you just wanted at least one thing at the table that you could agree on that you would move on? Are there thoughts that we need to think or lenses you would use um, to get that, com not comfortable, but like it's, it's like that you talked about a shared vision, but everyone at that table, um, and, and the only thing, I, I always go back to this conversation that I had with Martin Luther Jr., and that was this. So, like, we talked about having the Ku Klux Klan at the table. And so when I talk about uncomfortable, that's the extent of from we are uncomfortable because we're, uh, you know, like right here to that kind of extent. Um, yeah. And yeah, I've I've known I've known openly racist people, closeted racist people. I've known judgy people, non-judgy people. Right. I've known guys who try to get so far away from judgment that they they look like soggy cardboard. Right, exactly. they don't have a structure to themselves yeah. anymore. My favorite sentence of all time, and I use it with everyone I think is um, uh, an idiot, is Does that sound judgmental? <laughs> <laughs> I I use it with everyone I think is is a knucklehead. I just say, walk me through your thinking on that. Walk me through your thinking on that. If you sat me down at a table surrounded by the Klansmen, I would say, hey, tell me, tell me what the outcome is you're trying to get. I mean, without saying you're, you're good, bad, evil, horrible, whatever, walk me through what you're trying to achieve. Okay, great. Now walk me through your thinking on that. Why do you think that benefits um, you, the world? But walk me through your thinking on that works when I'm talking to someone about marketing. I want you to market your business. No, I can't do that. I feel unethical. Great. Walk me through your thinking on that. But walk me through your thinking allows me to get into a hard conversation. Now, if you, if you read enough psychology, you'll understand that you cannot bring a rational argument to an irrational fear. You can't do it. And that's the basis of conspiracy theories. Most conspiracy theories are lazy science. They're emotional arguments because people need to believe that my husband had a brain tumor, right? There has to be a 5G network that caused it because it couldn't be bad luck. My dog died last year. I can't have that much bad luck in a row. Where in reality, you think horses, not zebras. If you hear hoof prints behind you, there's a bigger chance that it's a horse, not a zebra. You see what I mean? So when we're looking through these harder conversations, when I have to sit down next to my daughter and have a hard conversation or my wife and I have to have a hard conversation, if we can't get to a starting point, we're never going to get to a finishing point. So when I say walk me through your thinking on that, you get to listen to what their position is. You might find even with someone as horrible as a human being as some of the, you know, the violent folks out there. You might find that you guys agree on a few things 
and disagree on some big things. But if you can find any point of agreement, you can start a conversation and build off that REV platform because there are five levels of rapport. I'm comfortable talking to you. You're not comfortable talking to me. Conversation is number two. I can get you to change what you're doing by talking to you. That's level three. I can get you to change what you're doing without talking to you. I can wave. You can wave. That's level four of rapport. And level five is a trust-based, like a marriage-based rapport, an agreement-based rapport where, you know, I can fly around the world and stay faithful to my family because we have an agreement. You see what I mean? That's where virtues and values. Virtues, if we go back to medieval times where the virtues came from, virtues are good for the globe. Ten Commandments are a good version of the virtues. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. But values, values are usually good for you. I'm going to treat every customer like their family. That's going to benefit me. Where virtues benefit the world. When you layer on this concept, walk me through your thinking on that. What I'm looking for is to spotlight virtues and values so I can choose whether I want to be in a relationship with someone. It's not my job to save everyone. It's my job to help the willing. And it's not my job as we started off this, taking great powerful women and sticking them into a male dominated construct. It's not my job to do anything other than to allow them to be them. So good. And even in this, with a hard situation, hard conversations. But if I'm not willing to listen, how the heck are we ever gonna find common ground? So good. Hey, Candice, I'd love to have you on this, girl. Um, can you unmute? Here's an amazing is. woman. Um, do you want to just intro who you are and what you do? Um, for those of you who are, I was on yesterday for as, as long as I could be. Um, I'm amazing. the CEO of Cobra Legal Solutions. Um, and there's there's about, I, I think, right now, probably six or eight Cobras on, on right now. There's 10 of us that have access to the conference and we'll be coming in and out as we can. Uh, Since my executive leadership team is a global team, um, some of the folks have their cameras off, Carrie Marie, because they keep nodding off. It's, uh, you know, 4 a.m. or, you know, 12 midnight or or whatever. So, so so we keep coming and going as as the the world turns. So, so Nithya just came back. Thanks, Nithya. Um, so we've had Renee and, and uh, Mahesh is on and Thenapani Shakti. So lots of folks from our India side and our U.S. side thrilled to be here. I think that there's tons of opportunity to move things forward uh, across the globe. You might have seen my comment uh, earlier, George. You know, I'm just the person who changed the world. So... That's kind of how I answer that question. That's fantastic. (laughs) Um, You know, we've talked a lot about holding back or doing things differently or whatever. And I think we create these obstacles many times ourselves. And, you know, I guess you you could think I'm sort of the exception to the rule or whatever it might be, I don't know. But I've had a lot of amazing people around me, surround me, push me up through the years. And I do the same thing. I push and pull uh, people up with me and around me everywhere I can. I think you succeed together or you fail together. I know that's sort of an old terminology, but I think it holds true. And, and I guess I've been one of those folks that sort of 
shattered whatever we might have called a, a glass ceiling in the past at the age of 26. So I was the CFO of a Scripps Howard newspaper um, at a very, very young age, <laughs> at 26 years old. So I've done this, I've stayed in the C-suite the rest of my career and have been, and, and my team on here could, could say this as well, but a huge advocate for uh, diversity, inclusion, women's empowerment, um, and just plain being the best global citizen you can be, sort of, I don't know, as long as I could walk. So <laughs> does, that, does that help carry me? I love it. But um, are there any questions you have around leadership or, um, you know, doing it as we move into more uncertain times across the world at the moment? Um, George is amazing, and I think um, that if you, if ever there was a space to have a question around team leadership, whatever, here is a spot to have it. Yeah, and I, I think wanted to the, give you the platform because I know what you're doing, and and you're amazing at the impact that you're literally this woman. Um, what I've seen her achieve, what she, I mean, we talk about results at the table. Yeah, this one brings it. So I wanted to give you the space to ask a question or two or three, whatever it is, and have a conversation with, with George. Yeah, I think, George, it, it's, uh, I love your, your commentary and your presentation, by the way. Very, very cool. And Earl, I caught some of your comments, and I have to say I love your voice. I think I, I noted that on Facebook uh, before we came on. I just love the baritone, by the way. <laughs> well, thank you. So very, very cool. Um, but I think that these are the kinds of things, Carrie Marie, your facilitation of this, I mean, of George's knowledge, of Earl's knowledge, of, you know, the folks yesterday, of just collaboratively talking. I think that's the difference. I mean, you, you can talk about something or you can talk to someone or at somebody. But if you collaboratively talk about things, and you truly listen and engage, that's different. Just like George's daughter, you listen and then engage, it's different, right? So rather than just putting forth, here's how to do it. I mean, I guess to me, I look at it and I say, more than I say how to, I say thank you for. And so George, thank you for everything that you've provided and you give to us. Um, I think it's a it's a discussion. It's allowing the space. It's allowing for all of us to talk about things. Because guess what? What we thought was the answer two months ago isn't the answer today, right? How we thought we were going to work, how we thought we were going to be in the office every day. Nope. How we thought, you know, what real estate we needed. We don't need it anymore. You know, commercial real estate, unfortunately, if, if any of you are in that arena, I feel bad for you because all of us leaders are looking at that going, you know what, um, I've already, you know, dictated to my team, you know, let's look at how we can change this. What do we need? And what do we need to do as leaders? Well, what we need to do is more of this. We need to have these kind of open conversations as to what's working, what's not working, you know, what are your successes, what are your challenges, and and how can we learn from each other? And frankly, I do that a lot by just listening. And so, um, I, you know, I'll chime in when I can. But I think I think my my question is, 
you know, what else can I do? I mean, I think that's my, my question to all of you. How can I be more of a help to you? What else, what can I give? It's not what you're giving. I see you're already giving a ton. What else can I do to help? How can I help you succeed? Can I, can I answer? Can I speak to that? Yeah, please. Um, you know, the triad of empowerment is choose a strategy, find the systems, and then build the skills. When you're planning, we go strategy, system, skill, because when you execute, you go skills applied to the systems to enact the strategies. And the overlap for future-based joy and power is always on the skill set side. Because if I teach you how to bounce a ball, I can now put you in 27 different jobs where that is a skill set that you can use. If I teach you to give a talk or when my sister was hiring for the big investment company that she works for in New York, when she was hiring her team, the skill she was looking for was small group management. Can you run a team of five to 10 people? Because that's a skill set that once you have it, we can put you into a conference room, we can put you on a stage. So uh, what I'm always asking leaders to do is to identify the skill set that is needed and then build a toolbox on what's the skills that go cross-platform for you. You know, it is being able to listen and, and adjust your conversation. That'll work on the phone. It'll work in a Zoom room. It'll work in Microsoft Teams. It'll work on stage. It'll work on a, in a comedy club, right? And when you give someone skills, you increase their self-empowerment, their self-esteem, and their trust in themselves. Now you'll see that they're no longer thinking about the mechanics of how, and they can focus on the why and the outcome. And you'll see so much faster growth in everyone around you if they trust their own skills. But you have to train to what's called boredom. That means you get so good at the skill, you no longer think about it. That's not habit. But if I, you ever see a kid bounce a ball for the first time, they're all flobbly, like flubby-handed, right? But if, if they practice that skill enough, now they can think about the strategy of the game because the mechanics are just ingrained. They trust themselves in it. So when I'm teaching salespeople, the worst thing you can ever do is work on the clothes. Because if you work through a whole presentation and just you have this polished clothes, at the end of that talk, everyone is just holding up their barriers expecting to be sold. You work on the opening because if your opening is strong and people like you, they're with you the entire time of the presentation. And now all you have to do is allow them to buy, allow them to move forward, allow them to have more of the relationship. Because shooting videos like this or doing Facebook Lives or Instagram Stories, all that video is, is allowing someone into your life, into your personality just a little bit. It's not a presentation. You're allowing the relationship to grow. So when you talk about rapport, which is proximity and comfort, experiences, which are the scars you actually lived through, you and my sister, without ever having known each other, would sit down and have a fantastic conversation about being executives, building your teams, and learning how to battle when someone was an idiot and how to get around people who are trying to get in your way. And you don't have to even know each other and you already have shared experiences. 
So learning to be in that conversation at any time is a skill set. And what I do is I build models to allow doctors and people to learn that faster. And one model is walk me through your thinking on that. Another is a WHW, which is, so tell me what's going on. How long has that been happening? What have you tried up until now to fix it? Three questions before anything else happens. So, you know, hey, my business is down. Tell me what's going on. They feel heard. How long has that been going on? We timeline it only for this reason. If you live a pretty good life, you get about 30,000 days on the planet. That's about 84 and a half years old. That's a pretty good life. 30,000 days. I'm well past 15,000 days, by the way. I'm on the downhill slope. But... <laughs> 30,000 days. So the only resource we can't replace is time. So as soon as someone tells me a problem, I want to know how long it's been a problem because that gives it so much power, not power over them, but power in our relationship because I'm paying attention to something that's taking time from them. You, you could lose all your money, make it back. You can't get a day back. I get more upset if I see a bad movie and waste two hours than if I you know, spent money that I, I shouldn't have spent. So what's going on? How long has it been going on? And then the last W, which is what have you tried up until now to fix it? That sets the stage that they're supposed to be trying to fix it. But it also shows me their puzzle solving ability so that I can then pivot and say, I don't want to go down that same road. Let's figure out what we're missing. Intention, clarity, or engagement. Intention, you didn't know what you're, you, you didn't know what you wanted. Clarity, plan, tools, and help. You didn't have a plan, have the right tools, or know where to get help. Or engagement, head, heart, and hands. Did you understand what we were doing? How did you feel about it? Were you willing to do the work? But it all starts with that model of WHW. So that's how you talk to a child who comes home and they had a bad day. What's going on? Well, how long has that been happening? How long have you felt like this? What have you tried up until now to turn it around? We're talking to a CEO. I've got to lay half my people off. Tell me what's going on. How long have you known this was the trajectory? What have you tried up until now to get it turned around? It's a model that's, that is a model I call a master model. When I wrote that, I think I was 19 years old and I was training my special operations team in order to you know, do some Marine Corps stuff. And I was able to take these kids with very little background in leadership and turn them into competent folks regardless of age, religion, race, or whatever, because we got a shared vision. The shared vision builds unity. And most of the time, when you see things break down, when you see arguments come up, it's because we don't have the shared vision of an outcome. If you and I want to get along, let's do it. My sister, like you, pushes and pulls. But she also said this to me one day early on. And she said, you know, sometimes it's easier when I'm the only woman in the room. And the reason is they have to treat me a certain way. And I said, but doesn't that go against everything you believe in? She goes, that's true. But once I get some traction, once I get some traction in a conversation, then I can change the world. I can change the environment. But you have to get traction, whether it's with a bad dinner party with crazy people, or it's in building teams in India, Bangladesh, wherever. Because I have, I have staff all over the place too. I understand. But that's my rant. For me, it's kind of fun. Your sister would love this. So um, 
I'm not sure what she looks like, but when you're a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, 26-year-old gal, you're typically underestimated when you walk into a, uh, a boardroom. <laughs> Absolutely true. And she looks very much like you. <laughs> so awesome. it's so all fun. Helpful? I love it. What's that? Was that good? Was that helpful? Absolutely. Love it. I mean, hopefully, I think that, uh, well, I think my team is getting a lot of fantastic nuggets as well. So um, this will be good good stuff for our uh, ELT offsite uh, at the end of the month. <laughs> fantastic. Love that. Thank you. Hey, George, we have to wind up this piece of it because I've got someone who um, we talk about disruption and leadership. And if we think of uh, CEOs, leadership, resilience, and then grand pianos, um, then that's who we've got in the house next. Um I, I just want to thank you so much um, for bringing what you brought in, what you taught us first on leadership, but then, you know, going into the layers of behind the scenes of how we can think a little bit different, move on it, get momentum, um, and, you know, that way we can do what we do even more effectively. And so, you know, it's always an honour to, to listen to you, to soak it in and, and um, to get more stuff around that. And I think you've just added more conversation um, and like layers to the conversation that we had already started this morning, um, but we'll continue to have. And, um, you know, that's just such a privilege. Yeah. So well, thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much. I, I don't take one minute of this lightly. And yeah. anytime I get to have great conversations with smart people, it's, it's such I a joy and it's right. such a value add to my life. Yeah, it's funny because you said before, you know, um, is that judging? And I just thought of us too in our conversations because, you know, I have said I do not like having conversations with dumb people. And reality is there are some flipping dumb people out there. Um, and yeah. I find that really frustrating. So, and I found it frustrating that there wasn't um, everyone smiling and laughing. But that's the truth: is that there wasn't. Um, there was a lot of time in in leadership. I've stayed away from in a lot of ways. I used to be very involved in leadership, and in the world that I've been in in the last little while, I've gone. You know, I actually don't like being in this space. And it was because there were a lot of people who were making dumb decisions at the table. Marco Pierre White, who's a famous chef, right? Marco Pierre White said this, and he was brilliant. He said, I try not to judge people, but I do form opinions about them by their actions. And I think that's legitimate, and it, it's a good lesson to learn. It's okay to not like somebody. It's okay not to work with them. It's okay not to be in a relationship with them. You don't have to like everyone because you're supposed to. Yeah. But you have to be willing to see what they're about before you just judge them. Mm, but I do love having smart people in the room. And that yesterday was such a reflection of who was in the room was um, what an amazing day it was. And it's continued to, to be that amazing. Amazing droplets of wisdom for you from today's episode. Make sure you subscribe, leave awesome ratings and reviews. Our hope is that this product creates a new awareness activates ownership to what is next and a curiosity for the need to be a part of the change to make footsteps of sustainability from today onwards. If you want to further your journey with us, join us 
at our next Global Human Intelligence Forum or apply to our next Leaders Movement Parlay. Both links are in the show notes. We appreciate you. Help us to build a tribe and make humanity as stakeholders. To achieve this together, recommend this podcast to leaders, innovators, pioneers, future thinkers, and movement changers. Big love. See you on the next Global Human Intelligence Podcast.